that's going to have an impact on long-term effect value. But we were doing it in a way that it can be converted back when the time comes to sell. But we saw in terms of for the well-being and health of children and adults alike, they needed more space wherever they could. Welcome to Post City Magazine's 14th Annual Real Estate Roundtable. This event was recorded virtually in conjunction with the Center for Real Estate and Urban Economics at the Rotman School of Business Management, University of Toronto. The Remax Collection and Great Golf are presenting sponsors for this event. This year's event is moderated by Post City Magazine's Managing Editor Nikki Gill and Editorial Director Ron Johnson. This is part five of an unscripted and unrehearsed discussion involving 12 leading real estate experts regarding the draw of urban living versus the impact of remote working on the Toronto real estate market. Specifically, the panel discusses investment and renovations and their predictions for the real estate market in the coming year. Now we're going to kick off our segment on investing and renovation. Uh, And for that, we have our last video question. This one is from Bibian Ajire. And we will direct this one first to Brian Gluckstein and then to Odin. Hi, my name is Vivian Aguirre. I am the Assistant Director of Recruitment and Admissions for the Executive MBA program here at the University of Toronto. My question is for the builders, the designers, and the real estate agents in the panel. For those who live in the city and who want to remain in the city and who own a property, what kind of recommendations would you give them in terms of renovations or improvements to their properties in order to gain value? And the question that I'm asking is in the context of COVID and the need perhaps for more more space because people are working remotely. Uh, What trends are you seeing? What are those trends are here to stay? If someone has a semi in Midtown Toronto and they want to gain value for that property, what would you recommend they do? Thank you. Yeah, so the renovation market is one of those industries, of course, that during COVID just completely skyrocketed. Of course, we were deemed essential. And what we saw in terms of trends, in terms of uh, renovations, were, of course, adding offices or even just workspaces, because, not, of course, not everyone has an extra room to allocate to an office space. But we were uh, jamming workspaces in corridors and and just really anywhere where you know, we could really put homework stations for the kids because that was important, you know, with uh, working or doing school from home. And then we were also converting garages. So, of course, that's going to have an impact on long-term effect um, value, but we were doing it in a way that it can be converted back when the time comes to sell. But we saw in terms of for the well-being and health and well-being of children and adults alike, they needed more space wherever they could. And so a lot of the times, garages were that space where we could uh, create like a dance studio for somebody or just really even just like a fitness area or a gym. And then of course uh, we were finishing quite a few basements because people really were just getting tired of staring at the, uh, staring at the home, being essentially trapped at home. And then uh, people were, were, were very adamant on doing and making improvements. So uh, in terms of for value ads, um, of course, there's offices, finishing basements, and uh, converting garages. Okay, Brian? Well, I think that buying is a very emotional thing. And I would not renovate a house to add value based on what we've been through for the last year. I think purchasers, if you want to increase value, purchasers are very emotional. They want to see something that 
wows them, that's beautiful. They'll accommodate fitting a desk in a bedroom if they have to in the future, if they love the space. So it really is about the aesthetics of the house. It is the kitchen, it is the bathrooms, it is the flooring, it is staging the house so that it is, you know, feels open and beautiful and looks like a model. That's how you add value to these houses. If someone falls in love with the house, they'll accommodate themselves within it whatever way they have to. But I think it's that initial thing. Where, that's why we do model suites and they sell quickly. You know, we did, we've done projects where the, the buildings have been, you know, selling okay. And then you do a model suite that's aspirational and looks fantastic and everybody wants it because there's an emotional connection. I want to live there. And I think that's how you add value. You add value in, in creating a space that, you know, seems beyond what they can afford. They walk in and it seems so beautiful and so complete in its design that they will pay a premium for it. And I think that's really how to sell your house at a profit. All right. And um, Sangeeta, would you like to respond to this question? I know you've had some home building stories. Well, the last time we saw each other, uh, I was convinced to buy a house. It's all your fault, everybody. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Essentially, what happened was I was in the midst of building a new house and we put our house on sale and the traffic was slow because of COVID. Just the whole element of trying to get people into the house to see the house. And there was some truth to the idea that people, there was one family that was a 15 people that were coming into this house to see if they can live together. And there were teenagers and, and it was a process and it took a good five months before we actually sold our house and then trying to build the house and getting permits was a disaster. Everything was slow. Everything was taking a lot of time, but good news is that we are finally starting to build our foundation and get into it, but it's not easy to do it at a time like this. If for my own recommendation, I would say, wait, until all of this is over, so you have more control over it. But uh, you know, there are periods where workers couldn't come, and it's it's been a headache, guys. It's been a headache. So I'm trying to get through it right now. But uh, I am building our dream home, and let's see if it's going to be still a dream at, at the end of this year. Okay, we'll move on to our next question. All right, so we're going to move into our last two questions now. And um, the first one being, where would you say is the best place to invest in real estate now? And how do you gauge value given that there are so many moving parts? And we're going to start with Brad. That's a tough question. I mean, I think Hamilton has some tremendous value in that it's it's, uh, kind of (laughs) the most cosmopolitan city uh, closest to Toronto. Uh, And every every week we're seeing big change there. And I think the value is still quite excellent in Hamilton. I mean, listen, Toronto is my favorite city in the world. And I, I, I think that we have a, a really great future here and we have a lot of problems, but we'll probably uh, dig into most of them. I, I think that if you were uh, looking in Toronto, I'd look east into Scarborough for tremendous value still. But I also think downtown's good value. Listen, I, you know, at $1,300 or $1,400 a square foot for a small apartment, it might seem like a high price, but uh, you know, we're still able to find tenants for those properties pre-COVID rents and show a positive return for people with 30% down in year one. Uh, and that's hard to do in any other city as dynamic as Toronto. So I, I like all of it. I, I, I'm very positive on London, Ontario, and you know cities like uh, the Tri-Cities, Kingston, uh, Niagara Falls. It's all amazing. You can't go wrong in Southern Ontario. Okay, we'll go to Barry and then Tim. That's the, the short answer is uh, call me tonight and I'll give you the address. <laughs> 
But I would look, I'd be a little bit of a statistician and look at the areas that came down the most as a result of the COVID event. You know, it's neighborhood by neighborhood. I, I know, you know, York Mills was very much affected by it. Any neighborhood that was really in the eye of foreign investors, the 905 north of uh, the 416 area, that was good too. So, so I think if you just be a little statistician, ask for the results, maybe from your uh, real estate agent, you'll find out that those areas will probably be the first ones to recover. I do agree with Brad about condo market. I think it's just going to flare right up if you can afford, to, if, you, if, if it's your lifestyle to live in that, that size. That's it. I'm the same on that. Like, the, the truth, I think, actually, for investment, um, it's probably industrial property right now. The, the greatest degree of scarcity compared to demand. But I know we're primarily residential uh, on this uh, panel. So I think it always makes sense. What was impacted by the short-term shock in a negative way? Because we are seeing a leveling uh, out that's taking place. I do have a bit of a hope here, uh, Nikki and Ron, that as we get through COVID, uh, realtors have taken extraordinary care to make sure when they're showing a house that it's safe, that PPE is used, and Michael Callis is a real leader on that to keep people safe. I think it's people become more uh, accustomed or through vaccination, I think you see more homes coming on the market. So I think you see more supply uh, in response to the price spikes and a greater comfort for sellers having strangers in their home at the end of the day. My radical solution here, in, in the UK, Boris Johnson has done a land transfer tax holiday to stimulate the economy. Because when you buy a house, the spinoffs are incredible, right? Your renovations and new appliances, new furniture. That has actually brought a lot more supply into the marketplace. And give land transfer taxes so punishing, especially in Toronto, they actually bring a lot more inventory, which is a crucial problem across our province. Okay, and then we'll hear from Michael and then move on to our last question. I'll speak quickly on this, but if you look back in the last 62 years, if you bought a home and held it for a minimum of seven years, you've made money. So I don't know any other asset class in the world that you can say the same thing. And I like what Brad said about Toronto. You know, one thing I will say is that the further you look around the world, whether it's geopolitical or any other reason, Toronto just keeps looking better and better. And it's uh, gained the attention of the world. It's become a world city in the most important sense. So I think wherever you buy real estate in Toronto, you're going to do just fine long-term. All right. And last question. We always end with a, a crystal ball question on what's coming in the year ahead. Last year, our panelists gave a collective shoulder shrug as the pandemic was just arriving and nobody knew really what we were in for. Although the waters are still a bit murky, what does everyone think the coming year will bring? Let's start with our American panelist, Josh Flagg. So, uh, well, what do I think is going to happen? I, this is Well, here's the confusing part. The market was softening about a year and a, let's call it over a year ago in Los Angeles. People forget this because maybe they weren't really paying attention to it, but it was starting to soften. And then we had a pandemic and all of a sudden people started, okay, let's, uh, let's go out and buy a bunch of real estate in the middle of a pandemic, which makes no sense, whatever, but that's what happened. So did we just override, like, did we just skip a step and the market is now going to continue to go up like this? And we're going to forget that a cycle is generally seven years. And now we're on the 11th year or is this going to just fade away and then the market will go back to slowing which is what it really was on the course to do so who knows i i don't know but as it stands right now we really had a nine-year upswing with a 10th year and 11th year which was starting to soften just a tad and then it just went up again so i don't know if that one counts as the as the downswing or if or if people are just going to forget i i don't know is the answer it's really hard to tell i don't know if that was our downswing and now we're up on our next up cycle again. Right. 
Okay, Professor Strange. Uh, if the vaccinations happen under the planned schedule, which is hard to believe it will, given how it's gone so far, then I think everybody is predicting economic recovery in part because public policy tried to keep businesses semi-alive so that they could come back when the economy came back. Uh, I agree with everybody's general sense on the fundamentals of Toronto, so I think it's a good year. All right. And Sangeeta, what do you think for the year to come? You know, I, I just think it's not going to be a great year. I think it's going to the vaccination, like you said, head on. It, I, it's not it's slowing down. We're not getting I mean, many of the health care workers don't have vaccination. It's going to be a while till we get there. I think we're underestimating how long this is going to be around for a while. And this is something we have a discussion every single day. So, it, you know, I'm not hearing any positive views, even though the numbers have gone down. There is all these fluctuation and uh, new variants that are being exposed now. So I think that it holds on to that. And I think. It's going to be a while. I think it's going to be a while. Okay. Why don't we go with Tim and then Brian? Nothing beats um, a place to call home. And uh, COVID has um, has caused the, the two biggest uh, subjects uh, we ever talked about as Canadians, the weather and real estate, to see real estate take the lead. So I'm very optimistic. Uh, a residential investment is a great long-term investment. I think we're going to see uh, more focus on bidding wars, on affordability issues. It will put pressure on the province and the city. I hope that all those in government resist interfering in the market with new taxes or trying to slow it down. They should focus instead on stimulating supply, getting more inventory in the marketplace. Okay, Brian. Well, I think once we get everyone vaccinated and we get everything back, which may be not six months, but maybe a year from now, uh, people have a very short-term memory of pain. I think they will be back to their life and they'll be excited and accelerated to get on with life. So I think it's gonna be a very good year in 2021. Not sure about the rest of 2000, I mean, 2022, maybe a little rocky in 2021, but 2022, I think people will be so excited to get back to life that it's full steam ahead. All right. So we'll go to uh, Barry next, then Michelle and Odin. I think every segment of real estate is going to appreciate. I think luxury is going to go through the roof. I'm fairly the rich can address this COVID issue uh, greater than the people who are uh, not as fortunate find larger land, larger houses. But look, at money is cheap. There's a lot of money in savings. People have saved so much money by being at home and they're going to spend. And as we, you know, become more vaccinated, I think there's going to be that mind shift, you know, that existed two years ago where the baby boomers were uh, selling off their mansions and choosing size over location. I want to be downtown, as Jennifer said, the walkabout, the restaurants. I don't need this big house anymore. And all of a sudden, many of my clients that I moved into these condos want back their, their luxury homes. Well, I'm now seeing the shift starting again that we do want that downtown lifestyle. Uh, so I think that whole mental shift is just around the corner. And as uh, Brian says, people will quickly forget. We may not shake hands for a couple of years, but you know, everything else is going to come back on stream. I think it's going to be a strange year. I think that this year is going to look the same way that, you know, GameStop looked in the financial markets, things that we'd never thought would happen. I think all of us a year ago would not have anticipated rental prices where they were, would not have anticipated anticipated high-end prices where they were. And I think there is this point on offices. I think, you know, they will certainly come back, but maybe not at the capacity they were before. And so I think it's, we're going to see behavior largely in these markets that we have never seen before. And we don't have models and explanations for. So it's going to be a strange one. Yeah, I agree uh, largely with Michelle. I think it's going to be another unprecedented year in terms of 
growth in the real estate market. I think we're going to continue to see like a frenetic uh, spring market that's already really begun. And unfortunately, I think we're going to be seeing um, a, a larger gap between the rich and the poor. So it's quite unfortunate, but I do think that the wealth gap is going to continue to grow in 2021 and likely beyond. Okay, let's go to Michael and then Brett. I'm very bullish on Toronto and Canada. Some don't realize that in Canada, we set the all-time record in unit sales, and we're already ahead for this year. Toronto had the third best year in the history, and prices are at an all-time high. If you look at January of 20, when we were discussing those stats last year, people were concerned because it started at a screaming pace. January of 2021 is 37% higher in unit sales than last January. So I think we're going to be setting uh, new records for this year in price and unit sales. Okay, Brad. With respect to COVID, I think the fat lady's walking up to the stage. I think that uh, we are, from a real estate standpoint, we're going to have a very, very strong year. We will see price increases. We're going to see shortages. The fundamentals of Toronto real estate are that we can build 20,000 high-rise homes in the GTA, and we have a demand for 35,000. There will be a shortage as far as I can see. Most of the trades are shrinking in size, not growing in size. We're having a hard time getting bricklayers and concrete formers and carpenters and drywallers. It's a disaster. It's just going to make everything more expensive. Um, From the standpoint of the economy, I, I think... You know, uh, I, I'm an optimist feeling that we will go back largely to normal. And there will be some things that, you know, we will probably lose paper money. And, you know, there might be some, you know, mask wearing here and there. And I think, uh, you know, it, it's possible that businesses will change some of their models largely to suit, to suit them rather than their workers. But all in all, I feel quite optimistic about 2021 and beyond. All right. That's great. Now we'll finish up with uh, Jennifer and then Benjamin. So I'm really bullish on Toronto over the long haul as well. And I'm hopeful that by the end of 2021, we're all vaccinated. The kids are back in summer camp this summer. Uh, And inevitably, I suspect that there'll be many people who have not been moving around during this period because they were concerned about safety, who, you know, there'll be some of that pent up demand a little bit like what we saw in the late spring of this year. So that will likely happen. People that are are sitting tight are going to start to move and get on with their plans, get on with their living because we they have the vaccine. But I think there's another real opportunity here. We've talked a little bit about how there's been a bit of a stepping away from downtown Toronto because the good stuff of urban living hasn't been there. I don't think it would be a bad thing if the city had to work a little harder to build the urban narrative um, around the good living and the urban life and to focus on some of the gaps in infrastructure. We've just been building a lot of condos downtown. We need schools, we need parks, we need walkable streets, we need pedestrian streets. We need a cycling network that is consistent with a city of our scale. We don't have that. Montreal is way ahead of us. I'm hoping that in the competition to attract people back into urban living, that will deliver on some of those great urban assets that make urban living worthwhile. 
On the flip side, I think there's a phenomenal opportunity for mid-sized cities. London was mentioned, Hamilton, for those cities to actually attract some of those remote workers and to also see some growth and to offer some additional supply given the incredible supply crunch that we've had. So I'm very optimistic that the, the next 18 months are going to look rosy, but there's going to be some uncertainty to get to the rosy part. I'm sure of that. All right, Benjamin, final word. Yes, I think that the, the year will be relatively strong, but depends when you, where you start the year uh, in terms of activity, because we are now in a double dip recession. The economy is shrinking, as we talk, by about 1%, 2%. That's a given. That's the winter. The spring will be a transition period, maybe 1%, 2% GDP growth if we are lucky. Then we'll have the second half of the year. We'll have the summer. We have seen last year that the activity was very strong during the summer without a vaccine. Now we are going to have some sort of a vaccine, so the summer will be relatively strong. So to put some numbers, now it's about negative two, the spring maybe plus one, two, and then the second half of the year, we are talking about five, six, seven percent GDP growth. That's what we are talking about. Why? Three reasons. One, the damage of COVID is very deep, but also very narrow. Namely, if you feel the pain, you feel it very strongly, but it's very narrow in terms of the number of industries that are impacted relative to any other recession, which means that when we get to the other side of this madness, it won't take much to see a rebound. That's one thing. The other, all the damage is in the service sector. And that's the bad news. The good news is that a service business can uh, recover very quickly. It's very much, it's much easier to start a new restaurant than to establish a new manufacturing facility. So it will be very speedy in the recovery. And the number three factor, the most important one, is cash. We are sitting on $100 billion of excess cash, looking for direction, waiting for direction. And the finance minister is asking us, how can we convince those people to spend that cash? And I said, provide the vaccine and get out of the way. They don't need any motivation. They are motivated enough. Believe me, they are dying to go to a restaurant but they are not willing to die doing so. So they are waiting. That money will be unleashed into the economy. Another reason why I believe that the second half into 2022 will be relatively strong. So that's the story. We are going to have a relatively strong second half or maybe fourth quarter, depends on the vaccination, but the direction is very strong. And I believe that the housing market will be part of this uh, trajectory with the condo market actually rebounding the fastest given some resistance price level in the low-rise segment of the market. All right. Thank you very much. That's all we have uh, time for today. Remember to look out for this roundtable discussion in podcast form, available for download on iTunes and TRNTO.com and as the April cover story in Post City Magazines. On behalf of Post City Magazines, along with Rotman, I'd like to thank our panelists for their insight this evening, as well as we would like to thank our sponsors, of Remax Collection and Great Gulf, who continue to show their support and dedication to education and promoting the business and profession of real estate. Have a great night, everyone. Thank you for listening to part five of Post City Magazine's Real Estate Roundtable on Real Estate, brought to you by Remax Collection and Great Gulf. 